This is Bonjour Chai, the Awoke Ozion edition. I'm Avi Feingold in Montreal, and I'm here with Phoebe Maltzbovi in Toronto. We are your Frozen Chosen. On today's show, uh, we reflect on the events of the past week. We think about the tragedy. Uh, we look at what's been going on in academia, uh, within the Jewish community itself, and what do we see as compassion um, in these times. Uh, we will be talking to Brenda Fine, who is a uh, academic herself and a prominent tweeter, uh, to talk more about those things. Phoebe, what are we? Hi, week? Avi. Yes, yes. How's it been for you? Um. Well. Uh. Yeah. I'm. I'm in Toronto. So uh, Toronto is not itself uh, in a war zone. So physically, obviously, I'm fine. Um. But yeah, it's some pretty horrible, horrible news coming from Israel. And um, I'm the parent of young children. So given that every time I log on to social media or anything of that nature it's beheaded babies were they beheaded were how many babies were beheaded or were they just murdered or were they chopped up in a different way and then or and then what happened and then what happened with these jewish babies and then i think i'm supposed to go about the day now (laughs) it's just it's it's like unfathomably horrible upsetting news and um i come at this not as somebody who's an israel expert um but I am, yeah, pretty upset about it. What about you, Avi? Um, it's been an interesting week. You know, to that last point, I, uh, I, I, I had a moment where I realized, you know, Saturday morning I woke up. I didn't know anything because it's, it's Shabbat and it was a holiday. And I get to services and I find out that there's something crazy going on in Israel. Nobody really knows, you know, that there's, there, there are reports coming out. There's this, there's that. Um, and it was um, really heartbreaking to hear this and to be completely like in the dark. Um, but I found it really fascinating that on both Saturday and Sunday when I was in services, and this happens all the time, um, everybody becomes a military like expert. Everybody becomes a top level diplomat and has the exact right answer for what needs to happen now, what they should be doing, where were the failures, what's going on. Uh, and I'm really going to try hard uh, today to not be that person. I, I don't have military expertise. I don't have diplomacy uh, skills, uh, you know, other than being able to convince my kids to eat something that's new for them. Um, and, you know, it's really heartbreaking because that's part of what we try to do is we just try to understand. Yes. Well, um, I think that's it. I think that's coping. Honestly, what I think what yeah. you're hearing. Um, so I wouldn't say that everybody I encounter in my own life thinks they're a military expert by any means. But I think what you get is everybody has different coping mechanisms. Um, some people look for the most and this is maybe more where I will end up falling myself is like looking, finding the most outrageous thing somebody said online and like parsing it and picking it apart and trying to, you know, like, make sense of it like that because yeah that's um that's sort of maybe a coping mechanism not because i think that that's actually helping everybody but yeah because uh, what what can you do like i i can't go in there and tell hamas to change its ways and they're going to listen to me that doesn't make any sense so it's it's yeah yeah, I'm curious uh, to hear what our guest today uh, feels about that and how, how your approach is. Uh, I want to introduce you. Uh, we have Brenda Fine with us today. Brenda Fine is a post-secondary math instructor. And uh, on X slash Twitter, whatever we're going to call it, uh, she tweets prolifically as Mobius Stripper, uh, Mobius underscore Stripper, if you want to check that out, uh, request uh, to be able to follow her. Truly uh, a really like like top notch, if, if you want to, like, a, who who is the Canadian Jewish account to follow, <laughs> that would be the one. Um, and she's also Thank written you. for the CJN um, in the past. So. I'm vaguely regretting my handle um, on, <laughs> on X slash Twitter right now. It seems to lack the appropriate gravitas. But uh, Mobius underscore strippers is a math reference more than anything else. So it's <laughs> well, what's what's fascinating, um, and and I will put that into uh, the the introduction here, um, is that it really feels like just like a Mobius strip is a surface that has one str- one side, right? Uh, it feels like there are many people in the Jewish community that really assume that there is only one side to this. Um, obvious. So obvious. No, 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 not that there are. No, 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 not that there are two valid sides to this. That there is o- that there are many people that think that there is only one way to approach this entire topic. And do you, when Avi, when you say this, do you mean that they are pro-Israel, or do you mean that they have different one-way 
things that they, there's there are there's... multiple ways to be pro-israel okay and i'm sure we'll no, get no, into it saying, today yeah. oh, oh certainly but what i'm saying is i think so this is a, a just like before we get into our main discussion i just wanted to give kind of like a little background about where avi and i are coming from with this avi would it be fair to say that most of the people you're interacting with are jewish and sort of jewishly involved yes okay so if at, when you leave if outside of that space is sort of more where I am. And I would not assume that most people are like most people I interact with are not any, any sort of pro-Israel in any capacity. They're not arguing over what's the best way to be pro-Israel. They're not arguing about what's the best way to be good to Jews. They don't necessarily, it's not necessarily that they're anti-Semites. They just don't necessarily think about Jews, which is normal. They, you know, ideally not mm-hmm. everybody's thinking about everybody, every other group. Um, but I think it can be very easy within a Jewish communal setting to see, to understand the political spectrum as kind of going from like pro-Palestinian Jews who want peace to the, this ridiculous guy who's constantly on my Twitter feed, who was filmed at a pro-Israel rally saying he wants to kill all Palestinians. There's some, yeah, some awful person, right? So what I'm saying is that that is the political spectrum you're exposed to. Probably the one I'm exposed to includes something, a whole bunch of other things as well. And I'm not saying that one is the correct vantage point to have everybody, you know, we all, I'm sure my worldview is, limited in all sorts of other by other parameters but yeah i guess what i'm saying is when we're talking about this there's just a lot out there i don't know if i'm yeah. making any sense Un- but unlike a mobius strip there are mm-hmm. there are many many ways but can we can we please explain why we have it. brenda brenda on because <laughs> yes. um this is really um she had a tweet that was succinct can you please give us, Brenda, the, what the tweet was that you were responding to? I know the tweet itself is gone, but maybe either you have a screenshot or a, a paraphrased memory of it. So it was QP Local, I think 3906, which was the TA union, I believe, at McMaster University in Hamilton. And I believe it was on Saturday or so that they tweeted something about long live the resistance that kind of thing specifically um, involve, you know, we solidarity with Palestinians, that, that kind of vibe. And it's the sort of thing that had a very different context than it would have had a week earlier. Mm-hmm. Was it, th- was it this Palestine is rising long live the resistance? Was it that? That's the one that okay. would be the one. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. At this point, the only news coming out of the region was this brutal massacre of civilians. There wasn't even, you know, oh, Israel has responded and has that been too much? Like that hadn't even happened yet. All there was, was the slaughter of Jews and others in Israel. And that was what they tweeted. And I, again, that would have had a somewhat different meaning a week earlier, which isn't to say that everyone should have supported and agreed with it or believe that it it is within the scope of an academic union's mandate. But it would not have been read as, yay, look at all these massacred civilians. Isn't this awesome? Mm -hmm. So... I I looked at that and was somewhat outraged, and I try to be fairly measured on X slash Twitter, and I try to present my views in a calm and rational way. But I can confirm, just... I can confirm that that okay, is your general, you. your general, um, your general uh, approach to that. Yes, but some people are beyond that. Um, <laughs> there is no convincing people who decided that this was an event worthy of celebration. These people are just utterly lost. And I tweeted two words. And the second was you, and the first started with F. And my account was locked at the time, and this was the most popular tweet I had made since I had locked my account. I had over 100 likes. So, you know, I, I, I obviously touched a nerve there. And I thought that was interesting because um, it's the, these statements are all, like whenever a university issues a statement, Either it seems like they fall into these two categories. Well, actually, now there's three because they're the new statements that um, are statements about how universities shouldn't do statements. That's this new thing. But they're, the statements are. But either the universities the most, are not like, making those statements. Oh no, Stanford right. just did. Stanford just oh, did really? a statement about about not doing statements. But I yes, it seems okay. like okay. it seems like unions, universities, and so forth. It's either that they want to say something neutral that will please everybody, and that of course gets many people upset in one way or another, or that you get this thing like what you're, you were re- reacting to there, where this was not neutral. And it seemed to be kind of a like, 
this thing that seems to happen with unions, especially possibly where um, there's an assumption that one progressive thing means oh, a far left position. And yeah, I found McGill's to be both measured, but still very, very useful. Um, I don't know if you guys saw what McGill put out. Uh, free association and free expression are rights we affirm, but these freedoms are not absolute and the words we choose and how we communicate them matter. We're staunchly committed to building and sustaining a campus community where our diverse identities are honored and celebrated, where we are all safe to express our identities, where we're going to all flourish. We ask you to join in this commitment. Um, and that's at the very end of something that spoke about, um, you know, the violent conflict in Israel has caused many of us to feel shaken and the crises affect all of us. Um, I felt like this was something that was useful to be able to say. But who, we recognize, what, is this, what is its use? What is its use to say? Yeah. Um, we respect the idea that everybody on campus has a responsibility, has a right to say what they want, but everybody has to realize that they have a responsibility to speak in a way that doesn't offend. Is other this people. new information to anybody on a university campus? From it, it, because apparently at McGill, apparently at McGill, it okay. is because, because for a long time that okay. wasn't the case. There were times when people were saying whatever they wanted and McGill would hide behind this screen of saying, well, we don't want to stifle anybody's expression. So this is, so you say that the, the function here was to say that there are limits to free expression on a, in a university setting and that that yeah. was what was being brought to the table that's new. Or because at least, like, I'm at, thinking, I'm at thinking least putting the, it in terms yeah. of responsibility, personal sure, responsibility. Sure, because I'm thinking here of like the TDSB, so that's a Toronto Public School statement, which um, was emailed to me in my capacity as a Toronto Public School parent, um, not in my journalistic capacities, um, which... Yeah, I mean, it, it hit all the right notes. It's like, you know, it's obviously very sad. You know, everything that's happening in Israel is terrible, you know, but also like think of everybody, not just, you know, whatever. Like it, it seemed to hit all the right notes and there was nothing wrong with it, but I just wasn't sure exactly what it was doing. Although then what happens is when institutions don't do some sort of statement like that, you get people saying, well, you did a statement about this and this and this and this, and why did you not do one about this? And that's understandable in the context. So anyway, but can we just like, but specifically, I want to hone in on this specific topic of this union and other big unions. Um, and also like the one that I was just looking at specifically was uh, this article in the Globe and Mail, unions, universities face backlash over statements following Hamas attack on Israel. Oh, yes, and this yes, was yes. about um, the... QP Ontario president um, and also Toronto Mayor Olivia Chow, basically like a lot oh, that of- That was a fun one. Yes. So she she first said that you had to be, what was it, like unequivocal and she was like unequivocal in her, um, you know, condemnation of the violence or something. Then like mm -hmm. 10 minutes later, it was like, never mind. And then it was like, never mind and deleted it both or something. Yeah, it seemed, it seemed to be going really well there. I, I, what seems to be happening, if I could just like broaden it out a bit, is just unions um, and sometimes universities as well, certainly plenty of individual professors, although that, that's a different question to some extent, because they do not um, necessarily have any great influence as individuals, um, are not responding to this the way you would maybe expect when you think of like <laughs> ethnically targeted Hor horrific violence right, how would right. you expect like a left-wing entity to um respond i guess oh well, it's a really good question i mean one thing that's just really struck me this this article you're saying about oh they face backlash is it's just remarkable that amidst this horrific violence and with you know an actual war you know netanyahu's declared war the death toll is only going to mount somehow a bunch of labor unions in ontario have managed to make themselves the main character of this mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's just utterly crass. You know, no matter what your position is on, on Israel, on Palestine, on Gaza, what the right military response is, you know, I, I think that we can agree that Fred Hahn, the president of CUPE, is not the biggest victim in all of this. Right. But right. do I mean, you think yeah. that the unions that are doing this are doing this because this is the same sort of performative allyship of them saying, you know, Black Lives Matter, and nobody yells at them for that, even though they're not all Black. Um, they're going and saying, no, we ally ourselves with whatever causes are important to the people that are members of our union, and this is another cause, um, without realizing how tone deaf it is. Um, well, it's definitely performative. It's definitely, you know, part of, you know, the broader left political view. But if they don't realize that they're going to get a backlash to this, then they're stupid. And I think that 
It's not that. I think that they realize they're going to get a backlash, except they can easily dismiss that backlash. That backlash is just, you know, the president of Cuba himself specifically said the backlash was due to the Israel lobby. Like they've got uh, an explanation for this that's embedded into their political ideology, which is extremely convenient. Whereas they don't have that for Black Lives Matter, especially since, you know, well, Black Lives Matter themselves have been on this themselves, you know, for the last little while as well. Are you talking about the parachute from... Oh, I'm talking about that, but but nominally the cause of Black Lives Matter, you know, against racist police violence is one that has fairly broad support. So that in itself doesn't get a whole lot of backlash. Whereas it is known that Israel-Palestine is a very, very heated topic. Of course the units know that, except they're able to just dismiss any criticism they get as people they don't have to listen I'm, to. I'm not so sure that that's the case. I actually think that... It might not be anymore. So, I think that I they think crossed that the line this weekend. No, no, no. I think that they're not okay. so aware of this. I think that they okay. are so stuck in the ivory tower and they're hearing only what they hear within the academic world that this is actually just as settled as you know lgbtq rights as black lives matter and palestine shall be free that's Um, been certainly my anecdotal although i've been less involved in academia certainly in recent years same same here but yeah my impression was always that there was this kind of that like from the outside people would talk about academia as like as if really far left academics were in sort of engaged in a debate with like people to their right, which would be, you know, basically everybody. But my experience of it was much more that like, these are people who are just only interacting with other people like themselves who have similar views and who that's just normal. And like, yes, they know that there are other people out there and they're angry at those other people, but that's just like their sense of what sort of reasonable people think is just skewed by, as I guess all of ours are, the people they're actually day-to-day interacting with. But I was going to say, I think it depends very much on which field you're in. So I was in French, maybe in math, it would be different, you know, like maybe in different fields, it's different. Certainly. And I think that you're hitting on something important here that, you know, they only interact with people with a certain view. And I think that part of that is that they do not hear reasonable disagreement. Um, The only disagreement they hear, and some of it they're not even hearing, they're just imagining is, you know, the, the, the right wing, the Christian right in particular. And a lot of the analysis in Canada is bored from the states, and it's specifically bored from the states from a few decades ago. That it's, you know, the good right-thinking liberals versus the Republican Christian Zionists. I think that that's a big mm-hmm. a big mm-hmm. part of it. So I have a couple yeah. different questions here that are like, oh, I'm trying to think how to separate these out. Because one is, every. I mean, obviously, as with whenever anything happens, it confirms everybody's priors, right? right? So I've seen a bunch of the kind of like, actually, this is about wokeness. And right. when I first saw that, I thought, okay, that's just nonsense. Like, this is not about wokeness. Come on, like, let's let's right. just, you know, this has nothing to do with that. Like, but I'll... I'll well... <laughs> what? I, I mean, I was at the rally in Montreal, Monday night, the rally, the vigil, whatever you're going to call it. It started with the head of federation saying, we're here to mourn. This is not a rally. There will be time to rally around Israel and support, but we are here to mourn the dead and to mourn the tragedy. And then for the next hour, it turned into a rally and a political um, discussion. And I can tell you that, you know, the head of uh, the chairman of CJA, Gail Adelson Markovitz, she said this in her speech. She said it in an email several days later, and she said, these brutal attacks cannot be justified by any provocation, real or imagined, not by occupation, not colonization, not by any other woke liberal construct. And it got like a big cheer in the room. And I'm like, there are people in this room that consider themselves woke liberals that are here mourning um, this well, I tragedy. I don't think they consider themselves woke. I don't think that's like hipster. Nobody considers themselves I know, hipster. I know. But, okay, but, so, but, yeah. but what I was going to say with this, though, just to finish the thought about where woke does or doesn't fit into this, I do think there is this sense of like um, the sort of like the punching up, punching down, you know, they're the oppressor oppressed. And I think that this has been a very tricky time for universities, institutions, unions, individuals who have had this, who have felt sort of confident in their view about who's the oppressor and who's the oppressed, because what do you do with with a massacre on this scale? It's very, very hard to claim whatever the specific method in which a baby was, you know, brutally murdered It's hard to claim that a baby was the oppressor. And then you get people kind of tying themselves into knots online, trying to, um, or or statements, you know, from more sort of official entities. And this is a separate question of how to sort of separate out what's some, you know, silly person on the internet and what's actually important. But 
trying to sort of say like every there are some Yale professors being kind of constantly um, screenshotted for having posted that like every settler um, like like that basically that there's no such thing as an innocent settler and things like this um, settler not in the context of Israel and like um, settlements but settler in the sense of like well that is another question so what does settler mean here. Brenda, I was going to say like, that, that they actually think that it means the same thing. Well, but Brenda, go ahead. <laughs> well, I have seen a lot of, you know, statements in solidarity, you know, as someone on, on unceded such and such indigenous territory in Canada, um, you know, we're expressing solidarity with all occupied people, etc., etc. A lot of, lot of statements along those lines. And you just look at the asymmetric demands being made of Canadian settlers versus Jewish settlers in Israel. And in Canada, the demands are feel very bad, make a land acknowledgement, you know, maybe embed some, you know, indigenous knowledge into your curriculum. But other than that, you know, you can go about your life as usual. And the demands made of, you know, Israeli Jews are... And not Israel. When you're saying Israeli settlers, you don't mean in the settlements, you mean Israeli... Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Israel, yes. yes. Yeah. Okay. All, all Jews living yeah. Living in Tel Aviv, in the, in the if you are living in Tel Aviv. on the left, yeah. exactly. you, you, are, yeah. you are a settler. Yes. Yeah. And the demands made of them is, you know, renounce Zionism, renounce your family, um, leave Israel. I don't know and, where and they go would go. Where, where well, they so where, be here's settled, the question. This is actually else. an extremely important question. Where on this planet is a Jew not a settler? And that that's the question. I mean, I, I, I've heard some, you know, go back to Poland kind of things. You know, Jews are indigenous to, to Poland, that sort of thing. <laughs> I live in a um, Polish which... neighborhood and I, uh, I, I sort of doubt I would be interpreted as Polish if I went. Oh, well, there. actually, the, the story I always tell about my family is that my my maternal grandfather uh, immigrated to Canada in 1933 on the last boat from Poland before the war. And I actually looked up that boat, that boat, I visited Pier 21 in Halifax, and I saw his records. And there's a whole passenger list. And you saw his family, it was very, very easy to find them right away, because the others were listed with the nationality abbreviation P-O-L. And my grandfather was listed with the abbreviation H-E-B. I wonder mm -hmm. why that would have been. That's, that's hard right. to figure out. It must have just been a, a typo. Uh, certainly, certainly. So, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, if, if Jews were you know, indigenous to Poland, if they were considered full Polish citizens, that was certainly would be news to my family and many that's others. That's why that's definitely not how the European anti-Semites who would scream, go back to Palestine to... Oh, exactly. Uh, right, yeah. Right. So you had an amazing tweet about this, Brenda, that I, I have to... Can I quote your tweet? Okay, I'm go gonna, for it. I, I don't okay. have Twitter on this Okay, okay. So you, you wrote, uh, every now and then I am overwhelmed anew with the realization that so much of the safety and security we enjoy is due to pure chance. Not everyone, for instance, is fortunate enough to be living on the traditional territories of the Mississauga and Haudenosaunee nations, right? That was your right. Tweet. And those are the, um, the nations where McMaster University, yes. home of QP 3906, is located. Yes. So I thought that was um, quite interesting. So this makes me so I'm gonna this is not Canadian. Okay. This is from a writer named uh, Gretchen Felker Martin, a since deleted oh, tweet. Okay, <laughs> that goes smug liberal voice. So you must consider yourself an acceptable target in the event that Native Americans started fighting back. And then the end quote, and she's not actually quoting somebody. It's well, anyway, okay. And then the response is man, It'd be a fucking bummer, and I'd hide in a hole like a rat to avoid it, but, and then all caps, yes. <laughs> so um, I saw variations of this online, um, where the sort of like uh, indigenous people, both, I guess, in the US and Canada, were kind of being invited into a narrative where they had not asked to be invited, um, and being, and like, they're not actually like this is something happening with Hamas. This is not some sort of uprising happening in North America. The demographics aside from everything else are extremely different. And it's an extremely, like this seems like the most ridiculously performative thing because obviously easy to say that you would decolonize and like when it doesn't even mean anything in that context, you know? I also think, you know, it can't be overstated just how incredibly offensive this is to indigenous people to be told that they have common cause with people who are raping and murdering and torturing and hostage taking and kidnapping. Notably, they are not doing that in Canada. And there's a very vibrant movement um, among indigenous people in Canada to, you know, get treaties honored, 
that sort of thing. And it specifically does not involve this kind of violence against civilians, against quote unquote settlers. Yeah, I mean, it just seems like a better, like maybe this points to like justice is important, but like this sort of performative, these people should be gone isn't helpful. I have a question, right, for you, Brenda, and I'm I'm like, because I'm really struggling with this. And I want to start with the universities, and then we can okay. expand it beyond there. Um, and this really comes from a tweet uh, that I saw, and I'm not a big tweeter or tweet he. Uh, Ryan Berg, I don't know if you saw this uh, statistic. He's a professor at Eastern Illinois University, and he has this post that says, on, cal- on college campuses, the norm is this. At campuses that are very left-leaning, students are way less likely to self-censor over a bunch of issues. As campuses become politically mixed, students clam up. There was only one issue where this trend reversed Israel-Palestine, and then it shows a graph with a lot of other things. How do we... Um, figure out a way past this? Is there a way that on university campuses, we can actually have um, real dialogue in a way that honors, you know, a group of people that are really hated on campus, that are vilified, that are not considered the norm, and also at the same time, look at the people that are doing the vilifying and saying, there's something here. I we, We're not trying to delegitimize your discussion of this point. We know that your people are also um, deeply suffering and are in a problem. How do we how do we rebalance this point um, in, in a way that can possibly work? Oh, goodness. Um, I'm just a lowly math teacher. We don't talk about this stuff in my class. Um, and I know that my my friends who teach, you know, humanities and social sciences really do have to figure it out. But I do want to say that the responsibility is on the adults. You know, we have to place that back on the faculty and on the administration. Um, we have students who are protesting, students with extremely uninformed, half-baked, stupid views on things, except they're allowed, they're young. Um, I think that the focus really rightly needs to be on, you know, the adults who are making these incredibly provocative statements and to borrow some social justice terminology, making their students feel unsafe. I mean, I'm just trying to think of how I would feel as a student if I had an instructor who was, and this isn't just, you know, sharing an opinion that I disagree with. This is specifically someone saying that it is politically acceptable for my family to be killed. That is, that is literally what's going on here. And, you know, this is the part where I, I sort of waffle, well, I'm pro-academic freedom and pro-speech, pre-speech, but blah, blah, blah. But I think that we really have to restore norms of professional behavior in the classroom. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that I think that makes sense. Um, I might have to sort of yes and what you're saying, um, sure. which is maybe just and this goes beyond academia. But I think and this may be sort of like the segue to some of what Avi wants to talk about, because maybe we'll have different views, Avi. I don't know. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think Jews themselves, ourselves, need to be able to just see what's happening um, and say it's horrible without having to qualify that. Um, so that's actually what I did my CJN column this week about, which got much more of a response than my CJN columns normally do. Um, so yeah, but just basically, like, you can say, I'm Jewish, I see what's happening, I'm furious and sad. And you can just say that. And you don't have to specify that this is not a call to any particular military action by Israel, that this is not a, any sort of statement about what strategically you think should happen. It's not any sort of statement about your general views about the region, or your general politics, where you sit on the left-right spectrum or any other sort of more nuanced, more like specific ideological spectrum. It's not saying that you don't think it's sad when other people are raped or murdered who aren't Jews. It's not any of this. You also don't have to spell out in the course of saying the thing you're saying that it isn't any of this. And I guess what I noticed immediately was that the Jews I know who are posting about this a lot were sort of like, I mean, some were just like, this is horrible, you know, obviously, but others were sort of like, I'm not a Zionist, but this is still horrible. It's like, it's horrible. Like, who cares if you're a Zionist or not? This is horrible. Like, and I guess I just found this all a little bit frustrating, but I think that's because um, I'm not coming from within a sort of 
a part of or really any part of the Jewish community where where there would be like where the where the expectation would be that I would follow it up with any particular political stance. So maybe it's different. So Avi Look, yeah, and yeah. I this is the this is the central question that I've been grappling with all week. Um, I'm a Zionist. I will say it. I condemn all of this stuff. Um, I respect a multiplicity of opinions and and viewpoints and and the humanity of people that live in the region, whatever side of the fence that you live on, um, unless you're a terrorist. Um, and I grapple with this question of how does one um, deal with this point in the weeks uh, in the past week and in the weeks that are to come where this the Gaza strip will be carpet bombed um it will be like turned into like you know rubble it will be destroyed um all in the sake of security for Israel which i think is vastly important and yet and yet and yet um i can also and i want to be able to say that there are that, that this is going to be a terrible tragedy for a group of people that are palestinian um, that have nothing to do with this um, fight, that are not supportive of Hamas. And whether or not you say that that's 95% of them or that's 5%, whatever it is, there, it is a terrible tragedy what is going to happen in Gaza. And I don't know how to square that away as a Jew within the community um, who is going, to, who, who just doesn't hear any of this happening um, from communal leadership to go and say, these are animals. Everything has to happen. Israel must be secure. We have the right for, so don't is, talk about proportionality. Say, Avi, Avi, this is important. This is important. Yes. And this comes back to the, who is saying that they are animals? Who are you quoting here? I was, or, or, I, I was, not quoting, I was at like, a rally. Okay. I was at a rally Monday night, a vigil um, where I heard multiple speakers um, talk and who about, were they? who were they uh, like Rabbi Ruben Pupko, who okay. is a great rabbi in the community and yet is referring to the terrorists as animals. And whether or not a terrorist is an animal um, is probably a closed question. Yes, I, I agree that terrorism is animalistic. It is problematic. It is bad, horrible, evil behavior. Um, and yet the language is only going to serve to escalate the, the conflict outside of Israel um, on the streets where people are talking about it. And I don't think that that's useful language to talk about this being, you know, as an animal. I don't think that it's useful to get emails um, where we say that there is no, um, you know, you know, I... <sighs> I here's here's a good way that I can put it right. This is from Michelle Goldberg in the Times, right? She quotes young Jews who are completely shattered by the response of their lefty friends in New York, who were either justifying Hamas's atrocities or celebrating them outright. Perhaps such hideous dogmatism shouldn't be surprising. The left has always attracted certain people who relish the struggle against oppression, primarily for the way it licenses their own cruelty. It's too early to know how the left's widespread failure of solidarity will change our politics, but I suspect some sort of fracture is coming. I see that fracture on the other side. I see um, dialogue. Um, about how don't tell us that proportionality is a, you know, these are opinion columns that I, I've been reading. I, I got to go find a, a quote about them, but I'm not going to go and, you know, straw man this in, uh, uh, mm -hmm. into oblivion. I'm, I'm going to say that the people that I speak to, um, you know, in and around the community, I have heard this type of discussion saying, um, you know, this is, we're not going to go and say we lost a thousand lives. We're going to kill a thousand lives. We are going to go and do whatever it takes to be secure. I heard that language in the, at the rally. Um, I have my extensive notes on it. Um, I know that the, the people that are holding multiple views who say that Israel has the right to defend itself and yet Palestine um, is a people and they have responsibilities to their people and to live. They have the right to live. Um, it is difficult to hold that. Um, that's, you know, I don't know. Please, Brenda. Yeah, so I have a comment just about the nuance and about what Phoebe was saying about, you know, all of these disclaimers of, oh, this thing is horrible, however, however, however. And I forget, Phoebe, if you said this in your column, but I know that you've said in other contexts, one thing about these disclaimers is they don't even work. Um, and I, you know, just before I came on here, I saw an article written by Naomi Klein. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she was saying that, you know, this massacre um, on, on Saturday was was absolutely horrific. And she does this with all of these disclaimers about, oh, you know, Israel's terrible. I'm an anti-Zionist. I hate Zionism. Netanyahu's the worst. You know, all of that. And she got savaged by people on the left. She was called a Zionist for this. And I, I think this, that yes. in, in some political milieus, Zionism is no longer, you know, about broadly Israel's right to exist. It's about 
the rights of people in Israel to exist, the rights of babies in Israel to exist. And if you support that, suddenly you're Zionist. Like, that's all you need to do. I mean, it's interesting because that, that is, yeah, yeah. I mean, that is why I call myself a Zionist. And it's interesting because I, I saw somebody, um, a journalist who has come up, um, she came up in the Mark Oppenheimer <laughs> episode in a totally different context, but who had tweeted and since deleted a tweet saying that she's not a Zionist, but she, you know, like she's Jewish and finds this upsetting, but also that her reason for not being a Zionist, she spells out is because she doesn't support any theocracy. And I'm thinking like secular Zionism is something like I don't I'm not a theocrat, but yeah. And yeah, I, I've actually yeah. I've noticed this is a bit of a tangent. But on that note, I've noticed a lot of people trying to appeal to, uh, you know, people on the left by saying, look, it wasn't just Jews who were killed. And mm -hmm. in particular, on the labor angle, um, I think a dozen or something like Thai migrant workers were, mm -hmm. were slaughtered and beheaded, mm -hmm. um, which is really, really horrible. But I think that there's also something really perverse if someone says, oh, okay, now it's bad. You know, before I didn't really think it was that bad, except, oh, okay, some, some of these, right. you know. For sure. But I mean, Eastern, if I could just Eastern respond people. a little to what Avi was saying, I mean, I, I think about the, the keeping in mind both like the horror of what's initially happened and like thinking ahead to what may Obviously, given like my age and where I was at the time, namely Manhattan, um, I think about 9-11, right? You know, um, it, it, it happened like I was about to start college and was in Manhattan, New York, my hometown um, at the time. And it was terrifying. It was terrorism. It was also terrifying. It was hard to know what would come next. I had no idea. Obviously, I could not see the future. I could not see that there would be the Iraq war. I, you know, obviously, you know, this was, it, it was, you know what you know at the time, you know it. And I remember, though, being very frustrated at the time with people whose very, very, very first response to 9-11 as it was happening was like, this, like, let's, make sure that we do not do Islamophobia at this time. And I don't think anybody should be doing Islamophobia at any time. It just seemed like a strange thing to go first rather than to what has happened to what could happen. But then looking at this now from 2023, knowing the wars that would come and all the devastation that would happen. Um, none of which was, none of which was actually related to 9-11 Exactly. Itself. That was going to be my next, my next point. Yes. It's complicated, right? Because I think the specific way it was phrased was always about sort of Islamophobia in this kind of vague way. But then, yeah, you know, there were legitimate concerns there. And I think it's important to be able to have this broader context in mind and talk about it. And certainly anybody who's deciding policy should be thinking about a bigger context. I also don't think that in your very first visceral reaction to mass death, you need to put out a, a sort of politically balanced statement that takes into account all possible future things. You know what I mean? Like you can just in the moment say this is horrible. And I don't think that that implies that that justifies any possible revenge, however unrelated it even is to the initial incident. And actually, ages ago, you pointed me to a piece by Hadley Freeman about the backlash versus the lash and how there seems to be so much focus on the backlash. Oh, you know, there was 9-11, mm -hmm. but we, you know, we don't, we don't want there to be a huge backlash against Muslims, which, you know, she said, and of course we all agree, of course there shouldn't be, except at the same time, there are thousands of people who are dead, were killed in this terrorist attack. And, you know, can we spend five minutes talking about them? And we're certainly seeing that same thing play out. Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting. And I think the reason, I mean, it, it's <laughs> what obviously seeing is also like an, a part of the landscape we need to, take into account. And I think what can be very hard, and, and I guess where I want to move this discussion now is to like to figure out what is what is a typical view, what is a powerful view, what is a, the view of somebody representing a lot of people and, and like, you know, genuinely doing so. And what is some nut somewhere, if that makes sense? You know what I mean? Right, like, yeah. and I think that that's something that I because all this discussion of like misinformation, I feel like a lot of discussion has centered on the question of exactly how babies were murdered, which is a very horrible thing to think about. And I'm not sure it really matters exactly the manner, although it sounds like the initial initially suspected manner was confirmed. But the point is, I think a, a maybe more salient, pertinent, whatever misinformation angle is just like 
a lot, like just because somebody said something horrible doesn't mean that their entire community thinks the thing they said, that everybody who shares their rough <laughs> ideological position does. And I think it can be very I, I complicated think- to sort this out. And I, I, I think as somebody who's just trying to follow it, when you see this video, which keeps, again, like being posted, where there's somebody saying at a pro-Israel rally that they want all Palestinians dead, this is shared in this sort of spirit of, see, that's what they think. But who are they? Who? How many people think this? And you, you need this on, on both sides. Like this, it's, anyway. That's and not- I think it's important to also further um, draw this distinction between, you know, some rando ranting and some rando who just happens to have the Twitter keys to some big organization. Yes. Um, yes. I think that it's probably the case that the vast majority of members of QP are horrified by the recent massacre. But that doesn't change the fact that the person tweeting under the QP account said something quite mm-hmm. different. Mm-hmm. Avi? Uh, did you see this article uh, came out yesterday, I think? Well, we're recording on Thursday. Yeah, How to Be an Ally. It was in Tablet by Maggie Phillips. What can non-Jews do to stand by the Jewish community I did, yes. during this crisis? I so this, I actually yes. thought it was very useful and very interesting. And it was, you know, reach out to Jewish community members, tell them you're still standing there for them and all of that. Um, I would have loved, and I haven't, I haven't read everything by every Jewish communal organization, um, but I've gotten a lot of emails from a lot of different ones because they have to. Um, one thing that I noticed that is a glare absence um, and that I would have loved to see and I would still love to see. So maybe this is my way of saying it. And I believe this. Um, if you were friendly with a Palestinian or if you were part of a Israeli-Palestinian dialogue, if you were part of a group in Israel or in the diaspora that spoke about um, peace and the possibilities for peace and the way in which you connect, don't stop doing that. Find the people that you have been talking to mm-hmm. and keep talking to them because they actually decry this violence just as much. They are doing it unequivocally. They do not want this and they want peace. And we have to find those voices and remind the world that this is actually the majority of people. This is what people or Maybe it's the majority. I don't mm-hmm. know. I don't have the numbers. Mm-hmm. But this is there is a lot of people. There are a plurality of people that want this. And we need to amplify those voices more than ever. Mm-hmm. And I haven't heard that from Jewish communal organizations. So and I haven't yeah. heard that from Jews. And I think that that is the single most biggest thing that we can do more than sending, uh, you know, not that we shouldn't be sending supplies to Israel or money to Israel or buying bonds, all of which is important. But we should be making sure that the conversations that we were having before are not stopped. I think that's really interesting and and powerful. Um, I wanted to return to this question of the ally thing, because I think this was interesting. And I read this, Avi, I'm wondering, and Brenda also, did either of you get any um, messages from somebody thinking of you because you're Jewish? Um, Yes. And it's interesting because they weren't from the people that I would necessarily expect to have sent me the messages, you know? And I mean, I've certainly found that, you know, in other difficult times in my life, it's like, oh, this person <laughs> well, so, I was cares about me more than I realized, and this other person cares less. You I, know? Got, I got one of these messages and super well-intended, obviously, and I'm always relieved after having recently had to just block somebody I know from a mutual from Twitter um, who had asked how she could donate to Hamas. And I was like, all right, we're going to block. That's a blocking um, offense. But um, <laughs> yeah, but so obviously I'm happy when I see anybody who's, not on that side of things. But I also felt a little ridiculous because I felt like I'm not in a war zone. I'm sad, but I'm not, you know, I, I'm just in Toronto. <laughs> like, I'm, I don't know. And I felt a little bit like I don't want to pretend. Like, I think there's also sometimes, and this is really complicated because I'm going to sound like a complete idiot when tomorrow there's, you know, like every single Jew in Toronto has been, you know, massacred, myself included. But assuming that doesn't happen, I think there can be this sort of temptation to talk about this as a security threat to diaspora Jews, which it is in some certainly more in Europe, I would say, than in North America, rather than to talk about the actual genuine physical threat, like the demonstrable demonstrated physical threat in Israel and more than threat, it's happened. And I think I don't really want to talk about myself as the victim of violence when I'm not, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah. But but I mean, just thinking about the, um, you know, the, the, I'm thinking of you kind of messages. I think that some of the ones, at least one I can think of was in a way, a measure of guilt. Cause this was someone who had tweeted rather sympathetically in the past, like certainly before this week about a Canadian politician 
who was under fire for making some statements that some were considering as anti-Semitic. And this person that I follow was saying, well, no, they're not. It's just in support of Palestinians. And this week, this politician pretty much removed all doubt. You know, this was a, you know, that can't begin to guess. All, all resistance is legitimate kind yes. of kind of statement. And the person who reached out to me didn't say specifically I was wrong, but this person did say I was horrified. And I, I mean, I'm not going to just twist the knife and say, oh, you better apologize. See, you were wrong. I told you so. I'm not going to do that, especially since we had a very, very worthwhile, compassionate conversation. And she said that, you know, she said specifically, I think I might have to reevaluate some relationships. And this is someone not Jewish. Yeah, I mean, I do think that this is going to be a moment of a lot of relationship reevaluating because I really do get the sense that, like, there are people who I know just from the writing world um, who once, I mean, this has happened to me before, just like with actual offline friendships too, sometimes where somebody realizes, oh, okay, Phoebe's not just Jewish by happenstance, but actually like thinks Israel has a right to exist as a Jewish state. And um, even though I'm not by any means (laughs) right wing in this, um, that's enough for some people to be like, okay, forget it. And, and I have lost friendships over that. And I think this is going to be like a, a bigger sort of, I I don't know. I I hope not because it's sort of depressing, but there I am blocking somebody who I had liked previously over saying she wants to donate to Hamas. But, you know, no regrets there. I I only I tend to interact with uh, mainly, and I haven't interacted with barely anybody this week. In all honesty, I've been working on some unrelated projects. I've been holed up in my house. I've barely left the house for anything. Um, But I do recall that Monday night I went out Sorry, Sunday night, I went out to the pharmacy to fill out a prescription. And the pharmacist was all of a sudden really like saddened to hear everything. And she was trying to be compassionate. She was like, I, I, I really I know that this is going to get only worse. And I hope and I, you know, feel for your security and all that. And I thought it was a nice moment. Um, but uh, yeah, this is this is one of the downsides of uh, the only colleagues that I have tend to be Jewish. And the uh, and the ones that I have that aren't, um, I haven't heard from them, but I don't feel bad because they're often very, very busy and they're other clergy members and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, oh, I definitely don't. I, I felt honestly like, I mean, I, I think it was nice. I, I'm in no way like offended that somebody reached out to me in this way. But all like there's a part of me that thinks like, wow, people are keenly aware of my Jewishness. And, like that's like them. And it's different if you're a rabbi because I feel yeah. like they would be. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think that that's a great place uh, to move on to some Nachas of the Week. Before we get to the Nachas, we really would love to hear what you guys have to say. I'm sure that our listeners have uh, experiences both different and similar. Uh, please tell us what you thought about what uh, we spoke about today. Uh, give us what your experiences have been over the past week and what you hope for the uh, future uh, by sending us an email. Uh, bonjour at the cjn.ca. Are you in the market for a new watch or a special piece of jewelry? Are you looking for the perfect engagement ring to pop the question? Atelier Lou has all this and more. Eric and the team at Atelier Lou can craft a piece for you, or you can select from some of the exclusive designers that they offer. From a simple bangle to a statement necklace, Atelier Lou can make you or your loved ones sparkle. Located in the heart of Westmount in Montreal or online at atelierlou.com, visit Atelier Lou for your next watch or jewelry purchase. And when you do, make sure to use promo code BON18 for 10% off your next purchase. That's atelierlou.com. Yeah, so you were mentioning, uh, you know, I could say something about music and being grateful for that. And yes, I do play music. I play fiddle and guitar, mostly, mostly Irish music. And uh, this past Monday on Canadian Thanksgiving, um, a neighbor, fellow musician, invited me over with a bunch of other people to play. And it was certainly a distraction that I needed. But there is just always some trepidation these days of, oh, here's some acquaintances. I don't know them very well. Are these the people who, for example, also made a donation to Hamas? You know, there's always this low key concern about that. And um, it turned out that we actually had a very, very interesting conversation somewhat political in tone, didn't quite get into this. But I realized that, you know, these are very thoughtful people that, you know, I'm happy to spend time with and could potentially cultivate a deeper friendship with. So music will bring world peace? Well, (laughs) I wouldn't go that far. Phoebe, what's your nachas this week? Oh, this is a this is gonna be a tough one. I was almost gonna say none. But (laughs) um, I think just finding hashtag self care, finding ways to just um, not just be upset all the time because I feel like it's very easy to and I think then I I don't 
form coherent or helpful or sort of any sort of thoughts about um, how to be helpful in, in this, right? Like it's just, it's just too upsetting and I don't feel like I'm actually doing anything other than just wallowing in being upset about the news. Um, so what I would recommend for self-care is I'm obsessed with like using the website Poshmark, which is used clothing as this kind of like time. I, I blogged about this also, but like is using it as kind of like time travel and travel travel. Cause you can go by, you can look at ev- this huge list of all these different brands and you can think about like some clothing that was popular in like 1998 and look it up. And it's like, you go, it somehow like brings you to that world. Um, if you're not super into clothing, this was not going to mean anything to you, but if you are, um, it can be kind of fun to just kind of look at it. Um, I have bought things on Poshmark, not often, but I just find this like, you can kind of, it's like a type of escapism. Um, are you saying that Esprit and uh, Benetton uh, sweatshirts are going to bring about world peace? Well, the Benetton ads were certainly promising something <laughs> along those lines. So sure. Yes, there that is what I'm saying, Avi. And Avi, what's your Nahas for the week? Um, I have been really heartened by the ways in which people are coming together to support um, not just soldiers going back, but people that either want to return or want to go to Israel to help out um, as civil, you know, help. Uh, and the the stories, not of all of which have been verified, but I've heard enough from enough sources of it with enough verification that I know of like people prepaying for charter flights so that reservists can go back to Israel. Um, I heard a story again, unverified, but it sounded because it's one of these like, hey, this is like what types of stories that people want to hear of like some guy who didn't want to give his name and was standing in like a LaGuardia with a black card and was like anybody that needs to like anybody that was a soldier clearly like that was going back to report for duty was just paying for this person's ticket and the amount of supplies that are people are going back like sending back and the amount of um, even just good acts right the idea that like, you know, Chabad talks about spiritual activism. And I, I, you know, while I may disagree with the types of things that they have, um, the way in which that manifests itself in the past and, and present, um, the idea that like, we need to strengthen ourselves uh, spiritually to be able to deal with what is going to be a long and difficult internal um, state of mind um, as Jews for the next little while um, is a beautiful thing. And people are coming together around that. And uh, so all of that is, is a lot of nachas that I think that I've been seeing this week. That's lovely, Avi. And now I feel extremely silly with what I gave. Um, (laughs) I think I do. I will just say like one more thing though, is that I think we who work in Jewish media are like, you have to be reading about all this all the time. And I think um, I will speak for us all and say we we need to sometimes look away from it in order to sometimes look at it. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway. Awesome. Um, Brenda, it's been wonderful to have you on. Yes. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. Phoebe, great conversation. Thanks, Uh, Abby. Very useful. And uh, we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Bonjour Chai for the week ending October 14th, Shabbat Parashat Bereshit. The show is produced and edited by Zach Kaufman. The executive producer for CJN Podcast is Michael Freeman. Our music is by SoCalled. We are a project of the Jewish Living Lab and are distributed by the CJN Podcast Network. You can listen to all our past episodes on our page at thecjn.ca slash bonjour, and you can subscribe to the podcast and automatically receive all episodes on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love it if you told a friend about Bonjour Chai. It's one of the best ways we get new listeners. As always, please do email us with comments at bonjour at the cjn.ca.